Um, if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to go to the book of Habakkuk, and I'm going to kind of do some backfilling here um, to help you as you uh, look for and find uh, the book of Habakkuk um, in the Old Testament. So, um, a few years ago, um, uh, we were sitting in a counseling room in uh, the back of the church with some interns talking about what we might do for the fall. We had just spent the summer um, on a particular series, and they suggested uh, preaching through uh, the Minor Prophets. And I said, that sounds like a great idea. We'll do it. Um, that fall, we uh, decided to start with the book of Hosea. For 14 weeks, um, some of you, not all of you, but some of you patiently endured uh, going through the book of Habakkuk. And uh, I confessed later to Jared Bumpers, who was here at the time, I probably should have moved a little bit faster through that particular book. And he, his response was, yeah, I knew that, but some lessons are better caught than taught. <laughs> As I thought about punching him in the trouble that I would get in, I decided that we would take a break from trying to continue to make our way through. And so kind of as we think about alternating between Old and New Testament, we really want to make sure as good Christians, and this is modeled in preaching ministry, so just like you should be in your regular Bible reading, reading portions of the Old and New Testament, so should pastors be doing their due diligence and preaching through portions of the Old and New Testament. Well, we've spent... Uh, considerable time in the book of Romans. Uh, prior to that, we uh, went through uh, the book of Colossians. We've done a series on cults and world religions, and we've talked about um, go, coming to church. And so tonight, we're going to uh, begin a new series going through the book of Habakkuk. And I promise you, this will not be 14 weeks long. It will be uh, much shorter than that. So the book of Habakkuk, hopefully we've given you enough time to get there. One of the things that's important for us to do anytime we begin a, a study through a new book of the, of the Bible is to kind of get a lay of the land. What's the overall picture of this book? Because whether it has three chapters, 16 chapters, 50 chapters, we need to have a good understanding of the book as a whole, and that way we don't get caught in the weeds. So that's what tonight is going to do. That's why we've called Tonight's sermon, Hearing Habakkuk, because we want to make sure that we understand what is the overall purpose behind Habakkuk writing this book, and then we'll begin to uh, break it down even more. So, if you would, stand with me. We're going to be very quick tonight in our scripture reading together. Uh, we're going to read one verse. Uh, Habakkuk 1, 1. And no, this does not mean that next week we'll just do 1, 2. We'll, I promise you, we'll, we'll pick up the pace. This is God's word to his people. The burden, or some of your translations will read, the oracle which the prophet Habakkuk saw. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. This is God's word to his people, and we praise him for keeping it, preserving it, and allowing us to read it together. Let's pray once more this evening. Father, we come to you tonight, and maybe some wondering, what in the world have I got myself into and what does a weird name in the Old Testament have anything to do with my life? And I pray that as we begin tonight and we continue over the next few weeks, 
to mine the riches of this book, you would show once again how you have preserved your uh, Bible, your scriptures, the word, the very word that you breathed out for us, and that it's just as relevant now as it was when it was written. So as we journey and venture our way through your word tonight, please give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to believe. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I don't know how many times you've gone through a series or a season of life where you seem to not be able to make heads or tails of what God is doing uh, in your life. You don't know what he is planned, what he has uh, made his way for you. I don't know if, like me, you have uh, seen the last few months come and go, and you see the next few months coming, and you're like, what is happening? What is God allowing uh, to do? In fact, when we talked about Remember, somebody asked, what are you going to do when Romans is over during the summer? And I said, back in February, pre-COVID, pre-any of the mess that we find ourselves in right now, I was thinking, I think we need to do another minor prophet, and I'm thinking the book of Habakkuk. I just think that it's timely for college students. And then as we got here and I cracked open the book of Habakkuk this week, I was reminded it's not just timely for students, it's timely for adults, it's timely for our country, it's timely for our world, but isn't that how God's word always is? But it doesn't always feel like that, that's the rub, that really is the rub. We know that God's word is inspired, we know all of the right doctrinal and theological terms to put it in. We even teach it. We'll do Sunday school and small groups where the college pastor will explain inerrancy, infallibility, scripture, inspiration, all of these different things. We'll put it all together. And we know that. We have it in our faculties. We have it in our brain. We, we know and we're convinced of it. Yet, oddly enough, even with that information, even with that knowledge that resides in our brain, even with that confidence at which we come to church expecting that when the pastor gets up to preach, he's going to open up the Bible, and he's going to teach and preach out of it. We still wonder and go through seasons of our life where we're like, God, what exactly are you allowing to happen? Where are you? And why do you seem so far away? Well, it's in light of those things that we actually find a prophet who has the exact same question. The book of Habakkuk deals with a prophet showing us how we can actually ask God questions, how we can actually uh, question what God is allowing to have happen to us in the right way. And furthermore, Habakkuk actually deals with a lot of contemporary issues that we face, a lot of contemporary questions that we ask. And our goal tonight, really, like I said at the beginning, is to get a lay of the land of the, the book so that we can better understand exactly what God's word has to say for us. And another reason why we want to do this is because I want us to see afresh and anew that the Old Testament matters. It's important. You should read it. It's not irrelevant. It's actually relevant. And what you're going to find is that much like the characters in the New Testament, who you say, man, I can really resonate with that person or that person or their life seems to follow the same track as I can. I think there are more people in the Old Testament 
who you find are asking the exact same questions that you have asked yourself in the last few weeks, months, and even years. So tonight, we're going to divide this into two ways of understanding Habakkuk. We're going to start first with the man. Now, in verse 1, we hear about Habakkuk, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Beyond this, we really don't have much knowledge about who Habakkuk is, other than his name. Um, we know that he's the one who wrote this. He's the one who saw the vision that God has given to him. He's going to prophesy to the nation of Judah. He's going to proclaim uh, the word. But other than that, we don't really know a whole lot about him. But we can put some details if we do a little bit of digging. And don't worry, I'm not going to make you dig. I dug. That's what I spent the week doing. I dug to bring you these details so you get a better lay of the land. What we do know is that the book of Habakkuk was probably written sometime between 612 and 587 B.C. So 612, 587 B.C. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but if we were to do a survey, and we're not going to go into detail here, lest you fall asleep, um, but we are going to give you an idea of the time period to set kind of the stage, if you will. Given the time period that Habakkuk wrote the book, we can make some assumptions about who Habakkuk is. One of those things that we can say is that uh, Habakkuk grew up under the reign of King Josiah. Now, you may say, okay, cool. Like, I grew up during the presidency of Barack Obama. Like, let's just take numbers. Like, why does that matter? Because there's a stark contrast between who Habakkuk writes as he's living under a particular king's reign and who he grew up under. Josiah comes to be the uh, king of Judah at the age of eight. And at the age of 16, they're clearing out the temple and they discover the book of the law. This is a big deal because they didn't have the book of the law. And we think now because every one of you at least has access to a, a Bible right now, that that's a no big deal. And the fact of the matter is the fact that you sit here with a Bible on your phone and a Bible on your lap and a Bible under the chair probably gives good evidence of the fact that recovering the book of the law would not be significant in this context because we have so much access to it. But Josiah is uh, renovating the temple. The book of the law is discovered. Josiah does what a godly king should do and says, hey, maybe we should read this together as a nation. And a national revival breaks out. And I'm not talking about a national revival where we're like God and country and singing the Star Spangled Banner and shooting off fireworks and everybody says the Pledge of Allegiance together kind of revival. I'm talking about national revival where they're like every idol that we have is gone. We're, we're tearing down high places where we worship false gods. We're weeping and falling and confessing sin and the nation is coming together and, and we're breaking out in a spirit of just complete and utter national revival. And if you read in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles, you see this happening in during the reign of Josiah. And the country and the nation is just overwhelmed once again by who God is, what his word is to his people. This is stuff that you pray about right now. This is stuff that you beg God to see in your lifetime. And Josiah brings this up. And Habakkuk lives during this time period. Well, as what was often common during this time period, 
uh, war comes and Judah, or uh, excuse me, uh, Josiah goes out to fight on behalf of Judah and is killed in a battle. And Jehoiakim, talk about a name there, becomes the next king. And you would think, right, national revival, everybody loves Jesus. We're getting in the ballpark together not to watch baseball, but to sing praises to Yahweh. We're falling on our faces. There's nothing that's distracting us from God. We're on this, we're just on this upward trajectory. Everything is amazing. We love God. We're enamored with him. He's amazing. And Jeho- you think Jehoiakim comes to the throne and is like, yes, let's keep that going. No, Jehoiakim comes to the throne and is like, we want everything to be the exact opposite of what it is. Jehoiakim takes the country in the exact opposite direction. Idols are back. Worshiping God is put down. And suddenly the nation of Judah, instead of looking to her northern sister Israel and learning what happens when you fall away from God, Judah goes right back to where it is. And so as Habakkuk writes this vision, the nation is crumbling. And what you're going to see as we chart through the rest of the book is not only is the nation crumbling, but the Babylonians are coming to uh, take the nation into captivity. Um, They're going to be referred to as Chaldeans, another name for uh, Babylonians. They're coming in and they're going to take the nation and put it into captivity. And so Habakkuk finds himself sitting here watching and God's vision is to tell these people, Your coming judgment day is not that far off. Real upper of a book, right? Real upper of a message. The sugary pop star preachers on your cable late night TV don't preach the book of Habakkuk. It doesn't play well in the prosperity movement to say, you all have gone the opposite direction from God, and you're going to be put in captivity by people who will make your worst enemies look like a bunch of kindergartners. The Babylonians are bad dudes. They're they're not nice. They're wicked. And so Habakkuk is watching as this is happening, and he finds himself asking a very important question, and one that I think a lot of people today ask themselves that, this very question. Here's the question that Habakkuk is going to ask. In the craziness of all that goes on in life, is God really in charge of history? In the craziness of life, is God really in control? Fitting question, especially as you look around what's happening in our lives right now. And so what's the message? And this is the, the, the second portion of our time together this evening. What's the message of Habakkuk. So this is the oracle which Habakkuk sees. And we're going to look at a couple of things tonight from the book that will launch us into this study. There are many, many things that we need to learn from Habakkuk. One of them, though, right at the beginning, is the important lesson of not learning what happens to people who do not listen to God. The nation of Judah, the southern nation. Remember, Israel and Judah are separated at this point. Israel has been led into captivity, and now they are no more. 
Judah watched them go in the opposite direction from following God, which led them into captivity and led to their extinction. Well, almost to their extinction. There's a remnant coming, but we won't get there right now. Judah sits and watches this happen and then does the exact same thing. It is really easy for us to read our Bibles and look at other people and go, look at those morons while we do the exact same thing. In fact, I would argue that the reason why a lot of Christians don't get themselves much out of Scripture is because they identify with the wrong people. They have a tendency to look at Scripture and to say, I'm the hero. You're not. This is about me. It's not. And your temptation is to look at the book of Habakkuk and to identify with Habakkuk as being the one who's saying, look, this isn't right, rather than seeing yourself as the nation of Judah who is doing the exact opposite thing that God has called them to do. God had made a covenant and Judah continually, continually, continually disobeyed it. Let's just reference Hosea. 14 chapters of Israel whoring around with other nations. And you're like, wow, I can't believe a pastor can say that. Well, the Bible says it, so it kind of exonerates me. Israel, time after time, chapter after chapter, we read and we read again where the nation of Israel continues to go after false gods. Judah has watched this happen. Those of you middle children and youngest siblings in the room, you are Judah watching your older siblings do stupid thing after stupid thing and then being shocked that you get in trouble for doing the same stupid stuff. That's what's happening here. We're shocked. I can't believe that this is happening. Did you not watch what happened? And now Habakkuk is literally prophesying about the coming judgment for the nation of Judah. We also get a front row seat. And I think this is ultimately one of the coolest parts about Habakkuk. And it's always been one of the things that I've enjoyed about this book is we get a front row street, front row seat and street. Uh, to Habakkuk's struggle with God and how he operates. I think a lot of times there is a false misconception among people that the people of God in the scriptures and post-scriptures, uh, I just want to be clear here, never struggle with anything. That because Habakkuk's a prophet, he doesn't struggle. He doesn't ever question God. I think a lot of times people look at the pastors on the staff at churches and think, those guys never have any doubts. I mean, look, they get in the pulpit week in and week out, and they just let it rip and let it ride, especially if you go to church around here. These guys just let it flow. And they never struggle. You read biographies of great Christians, and you're like, these guys seem to be invincible. Habakkuk is a great book because it reminds us that they're not, and we're not. And that it's okay to struggle and to ask questions and to not understand what God is doing and to inquire as to why God is allowing these things to happen. It's okay to do that. And I think inside the Christian community, especially within the last 20 years, we have said you can't ask God questions. But it's real hard. If you spent any time around here with our church body in the last five years, 
six years, seven years to ask that question. As people get cancer and die, as young people get cancer and die, as people are involved in freak accidents and die. And we watch tragedy after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And then let's just throw it out to a macro level. We're in a country that is experiencing tragedy, seemingly after tragedy. And we're in a world that seems to be experiencing tragedy after tragedy. If it's not COVID, it's murder hornets. If it's not murder hornets, it's the Sahara Desert Storm. If it's not that, then we've got racial tensions in this country. And we we look around and we go, what is God doing? And Christians sometimes go, you can't ask that question. Just have faith and press on. I want to burn those shirts, by the way, in stores that are just like, just have faith and carry on as if to suddenly suggest or to wonder, is God really doing what he's supposed to be doing? It's somehow a blasphemous thought. And I would just tell you tonight that if someone tries to convince you that nobody in the Bible ever questioned God and they just blindly followed him by faith, that they might need the Bible more than you do. Because it's apparent from those statements that they have not read it. Habakkuk questions God. Not in an argumentative type, you shaking his fist at God, but just puzzled. They're about to be judged by people who are worse than them. Do you understand the irony in that? The Babylonians are not religious at all, and they're going to be the ones who carry out God's judgment against the nation of Judah. Sometimes we look around the world and we go, is God really in control? Does God really know what he's doing? I just want to say that in the next three chapters, you're going to watch as somebody who, for all intents and purposes, we might say has it figured out, asks the same questions that we would. I'd also want to point you to the relevance of this book. The relevance of this book is... um, one that I think might be lost if I don't lay this out for you. So Habakkuk is actually going to deal with some pretty heavy questions. So if you've ever had one of these questions, Habakkuk is going to try to answer it for us as he prophesies God's word. Number one, this is one of the questions he's going to answer. How do we deal with the problem of evil? That question hasn't been around, I don't know, for a millennia. Like, how do we deal with the problem of evil? How do we continue to pray when it seems pointless? Or does it even matter that we pray? These are questions that Habakkuk is is asking. Why is there the problem of so much violence? And why is the violence carried out in a large sense by oppressive people? Again, we're going to want to stay rooted in this Right, 687 or 587 to 612 BC. But he's asking, I've seen violence everywhere, and it's by people who are oppressive and wicked. What, how do, why is that happening? And, and then this one, number four, why does God seem silent? Why does God seem to be silent? 
Now, those are the questions that he's going to answer. But if you flip just over maybe a page or half a page to Habakkuk chapter 2, I want to point you to the hinge verse of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. This is the hinge verse. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. This is an important verse because nothing in this book screams victory in the end. In fact, it screams the exact opposite of victory as it comes to a climax. If we were to divide the book, we would divide it into two two sections. Chapters 1 and 2 are really... Habakkuk's oracle or message or prophecy. And then the book ends with chapter 3, the second part of this book, as a psalm. And here's what Habakkuk is going to ultimately do. Habakkuk is going to ask these questions. He's going to get answers to them that probably are less than satisfying. But in the end, Habakkuk trusts fully and totally in God's hand. Trusts fully and totally in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in the way that he executes in his time, not ours. He learns to trust in God's perfect timing and how he chooses to execute judgment. And I love this because two chapters of prophecy, proclamation, and bad stuff. And I think he ends how Christians should always end, singing. Just singing. It's a psalm of praise and confidence that ultimately, I I, I love it because it climaxes in the greatness of who God is. So all this bad stuff is coming. It doesn't seem like it's fair. I don't understand how you work and you operate, but I'm going to ask questions. But in the end, here's what he says. Look at verses 17 through 19. And this will be the climactic sermon to the sermon series. So we will preach this. I'm not going to unpack it all right now. But he sings this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. And all the congregation says yes and amen and sings this out the door together. But they don't sing it out the door together in the sense that there isn't bad stuff coming. They sing it out the door as bad stuff is coming. They they don't, Christians want the conquering verse. They want the conquering song. They want to walk out victorious. But what Habakkuk's message is, I'm going to walk out in the face of grand opposition, singing and praising and exulting and taking joy and finding heart in who God is. That's a different message than what you're getting all around you in the world right now. You got little Christians huddled in the corner and they're freaking out. Every news story, 
more death, more destruction, more disease. And Christians are over in the corner going, what is happening? And Habakkuk says, I'm trusting in God. I'm putting my eyes up off of this world. I'm putting them on God. I'm trusting in his plan, his ways, his thoughts, his desires. And I'm marching towards that because it's far greater. Habakkuk has sovereign confidence in a fidgeting culture. And we need that today. Sovereign confidence in a fidgeting culture. So I just ask you as we draw this together. I'm asking you over the next few weeks, will you humbly submit yourself to the truth of God's word? Habakkuk is not easy. It's not an easy read necessarily, but it's also not an easy message because some of the questions don't get the answers that we want. And that sometimes seems to be the thing that trips up Christians. We say we believe, we're like, oh, sovereign confidence in a fidgeting culture. Yeah, let's sticker that on something. Boom. But then when it comes and we get the answer that causes us to have to live in that way, like, I don't want that answer. I want a different answer. So I'm asking you, as you get ready to submit yourself to this series, and as we make our way through and you begin to read, hopefully you read in between the sermons and you're like, I'm reading this and I don't like it and I'm ready to get to the sermon to see if David maybe has an answer and I come and I'm like, I don't think we're going to like this. And as we journey through this together, we're going to have to ask ourselves this question, am I going to submit to God's word or am I going to say, God, I believe you're sovereign up until the point that I don't like it. I think there are a lot of Christians they're all outside of here. Nobody struggles with that inside of here. They're all down in adult big church tonight. They're that way. We're all here. We're like, sovereign confidence in a fidgeting culture. That's us. Until we get the answer that we don't like. Second question. Will you make it a point to resolve to trust God above all, regardless of circumstances? Maybe that's been a struggle up to this point. And I'm not saying you're not going to struggle with it past this point. But the resolution is not that I will never struggle. I'm just resolving that I'm going to do my best every time I get tempted to look down here and go, okay, this is not what I signed up for, to look back up and say, nope, you know best. I need more Christians who have a rock-solid confidence in God's sovereignty that allows them to embrace the different ways that God is growing and changing and molding and making them into his image. Because if you will submit to this, you will be able to walk out the room singing. And what a better way for us to conclude tonight than to pray and sing. And not just, but to really sing because we believe it. We receive it and not in a name it and claim it kind of way but we see god for who he is and we know that he's far better we know that he's far greater and we've bought in if you can do that you'll sing your guts out but i think a lot of us don't sing our guts out because we haven't bought into the fact we're like yeah i think christ is great 
but he's straight to a point. Full-throated confidence, right? Sovereign confidence in a fidgeting culture. Let's pray together.